at some from West Virginia. How many of you know it's a state? Would you raise your hand, please? Yeah, and so uh, we live, make our home there. I'm not there much, but we're grateful to God uh, for the opportunity to spend the next few days with you. Now, how many of you have a Bible with you? Raise it up in the air just a second. Would you please you have a copy of the Word of God? Very good. If you don't, that's all right, but you've got to scoot down and get next to somebody that does. <clears throat> because everything I'm going to show you this morning comes straight from Scripture. How many of you think that's a good idea? I have nothing to say to you. What do you think about that? But the Lord has much to say to all of us from His precious Word. And just so you'll know what I'm doing, when I take you to the portion of Scripture in this Bible study hour, if you'll mark your place, I'm going to return to it in the morning worship service. I'm going to return to it in the evening meeting. And then I'm going to return to the same theme and emphasis on Monday and Tuesday. Now, I know they call it a pastor's conference. And maybe you say, well, I'm not a pastor. But I think, Pastor, everybody in this room is invited to the meetings, right? And so I'm going to ask you, I'm laying a little foundation today on the Lord's Day that I hope to build on the next two days. And so I'm going to ask you as a church family, try to do your best to be here if you can. And let's get everything that God has for us, all right? I want you to open the Word of God with me, please, to the New Testament book of Philippians, if you will, to Philippians chapter number one. Now, full disclosure, this is my favorite book of the Bible. I had a teacher in college that used to say his favorite book was whichever one he was reading at the time. That's a pretty good answer, isn't it? All Scripture, given by inspiration of God, and profitable. But there are certain books of the Bible that God will connect to your life, and sometimes at particular stages in life along the journey, God will just open something up to you. I'm curious. I'm just curious. How many of you have a favorite book of the Bible? Would you raise your hand? You have a favorite. All right, on the count of three, shout out your favorite. Ready? One, two, three. It's a great book, whatever you said, all right? If it's a Bible book, it's a great book. I heard Romans, and I think I heard John. That's, that's a famous, familiar one of many. Uh, anybody else here say Philippians is your favorite? I'm just curious. That's great. Wonderful. Uh, Philippians is a book of Christian joy. It's a great theme and the emphasis of the book, and it's a gospel book because all true joy is connected to Jesus. We'll talk more about that later on on this Lord's Day. Uh, but it is a book that has encouraged me through the years and kept my heart happy in the Lord, and I'm grateful to God for it. But I want to begin with you in this Bible study hour where Paul begins in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 1. You know, sometimes the opening verses of a book and the closing verses of a book don't get much attention because it's almost like we think, well, that's just he's getting warmed up or he's closing out. Could I just remind you that every word of the word is given by the Spirit of God, which means there's nothing in the book that's there accidentally or incidentally or coincidentally. Everything is there on purpose. God doesn't use fillers. So even these opening words, even the greeting, God says there's a message in this for us. Let's read the opening verses. Look at Philippians 1, verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. I want you to get a pen out, if you will, today. I don't know if you're in the habit of marking your Bible or at least taking notes, but I'd like you to find something to write with and something you can write on because I'm going to give you a little Bible list in a moment. It's not my list, it's the Lord's list. 
and it has application all of us. And if you'll write it down, it'll help you to remember it and meditate on it later. I had a teacher years ago that used to say, a short pencil is better than a long memory. I think that's right. So we all think, well, I'll remember that. Well, you'll remember it better if you write it down. Uh, mark two words in your Bible, would you please? In verse number one, I'm going to read again. When I stop, you say the next word out loud. All right, ready? Verse one, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. I want you to circle the word servants and circle the word saints. Now, specifically, the servants here are Paul and Timothy. I've always been fascinated by the fact, here is Paul, the great apostle, and who is Timothy? Timothy's his young protege, but instead of Paul talking down to him or speaking less of him, he speaks of him as an equal. They are equally the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when you keep God in his place, it keeps you in your place. Did you know that? That's fascinating to me. But when God is big, guess what? Everybody's small. When the Lord is high, everybody is low. So he says, let me tell you who I am. We are the servants of Jesus Christ. Now, this is significant because if you look at all the other letters of the Apostle Paul outside of one, I think Titus is the only other one, he never begins this way. He always begins, Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle. But here, it is Paul the servant. Somebody says, well, which one was he? Yes, he was both. Servant emphasizes who he was under. Apostle emphasizes the fact that he was sent out with the message. And I love this. Philippians is all about developing the mind of Christ. Remember Philippians chapter number two, the mind of Christ. And in the passage, in the same letter that emphasizes the mind of Christ, the mind of a servant, here's how he begins. He doesn't begin with the way people see him. I love this. He begins with how God sees him. He doesn't begin saying, let me tell you about my credentials and my title and my position. No, no. He says, let me tell you who I belong to. It's a reminder of who I am and who God is. So you got the servants. Then you got the saints. How many saints are here this morning? Would you raise your hand, please? That's good. Some of you didn't raise your hand. Uh, everybody look at your neighbor just a minute. You're not allowed to look at me. Stare at the person next to you. If you sat next to the wrong person, it's your fault, not mine. Look at them, would you please? Is that a saved person next to you? How many of you are seated next to a saved person by testimony? All right. If you're next to a saved person, you're next to a saint. Somebody said, I don't feel like a saint today, preacher. Or that person doesn't look like a saint. No, no. Saint has nothing to do with feelings, has nothing to do with even appearance. Saint has everything to do with our position, our standing in Christ Jesus. On the day you were saved, I love this, the Lord came to live in you, but he also placed you in him. That's why, do you remember on the cross when the Lord Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou what? Forsaken me. We know the answer. He was forsaken so we could be reconciled. At that moment on the cross, the father did not see his son. At that instant, when the lights turned out, when God the Father turned his back on the cross, he was not looking at his son. He was looking at my sin. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, wait a minute. Here's the beautiful part. He looked at Calvary that moment and did not see his son. He saw my sin so that now he could look at me and not see my sin. He sees, you want to guess? His son. When the father looks at me, 
he doesn't see me, he sees Jesus. How many of you think that's a pretty good thing? That's the essence of what it means now to be one of the Lord's saints. Now, notice both of them are in the plural. It's not servant, it's servants. It's not saint, it's saints. And I want you to get this truth this morning. We are all servants and we are all saints. This is not about the clergy and the laity. You know, sometimes you get around some church groups and some uh, religious traditions and they want to talk about the clergy, you know, the, the, the clergy being the minister and, and the guy in front. Look, I'm grateful to be one of the Lord's preachers and to be a teacher of the Word of God, but I'm just going to tell you today, I'm a sinner like you're a sinner and everybody gets saved the same way and we all have the same master. We are all servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us, not a single one of us, uh, is any better than any of the rest. The old preacher used to say the ground is level at the foot of the cross. This, all this talk about equality in our world right now, let me tell you what fixes prejudice. Would you like to know what fixes prejudice? The gospel. Because we're all a bunch of dirty, rotten, black-hearted, hell-deserving sinners in desperate need of the mercy of God, and God loves all people, and Christ died for every man, and everybody gets saved the same way. What do you think? So we are all just what? Servants. And on the other hand, we are all what? Saints. If you belong to the Lord, you are one of the Lord's people. The righteousness of Jesus is now on your account. You're one of the Lord's saints. And, and this is fascinating to me. Servant takes us to the lowest and saint takes us to the highest. Servant reminds us that we are nothing and he is everything. And saint reminds us of all that we have the access to because of our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it humbles us, but God never beats a man down, does he? Sin beat a man down. Satan will step on a man. The world will crush a man. Jesus always lifts a man up. What does the Lord do? He lifts us to the heavenlies. He reminds us that we are seated with him in heavenly places. Why? We are not just servants. We are saints. So we are all servants. We're all saints. Servant reminds you of your responsibility. Saint reminds you of your riches. Servant reminds you of the labor, the work that you've been assigned to do. But saint reminds you of the tremendous privilege and opportunity that is yours, that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of heaven's resources are at your disposal. I don't know how many times through the years I've read through Philippians. Uh, I've read and memorized and taught and preached and all that kind of thing. But when I come to a meeting like this, I really, excuse this word, I'm not trying to regurgitate something that I studied, you know, 20 years ago. I'm always trying to meditate and think and pray and be guided of God. And so this week, I was just kind of living in this passage again leading up to this meeting, and I saw something I've never seen before. Now, for the record, it's always been there because there's nothing new in the Word of God. If some preacher tells you they found some new thing, run from them. Because there's no new thing under the sun. The Word of God is not new. And for the record, the Word of God is not old. The Word of God is eternal. Meaning it is always the same. But here's what I've discovered. In the eternal wor Word, sometimes God will give you some fresh understanding of something. Because we read and read and read and sometimes read right past something. So look at verse number 1 again. Notice what it says. Paul and Timotheus, the servants. What's the next word, church? Now that doesn't seem like much, does it? But may I tell you, even the preposition, excuse me, young people, for using a dirty word in church, all right? Even the preposition is a revelation. Look at it, please. We are the servants, what? 
of Jesus Christ to all the saints. What's that word? In Christ Jesus. These words matter. You do understand words mean something, right? Especially the words of the living God. So look at it carefully. Of reminds us that we belong to him. Uh, that our work is of him. We're the servants, and if we're the servants, guess what that makes him? The master. He's in charge, and we are not. But the word in, look at this please, we're saints in Christ Jesus, is an emphasis not just on the fact that we belong to him, but that all of God and God's resources now belongs to us because we have been placed into Christ Jesus. Did you also notice that the Holy Spirit, not Paul, not Paul, the Holy Spirit flipped the name and title of the Lord? Look at it carefully. You think, do you think God's a God of order, yes or no? Let's try that one more time. You think God's a God of order. He does all things decently and in order. So look at it carefully. The Bible says here that we are the servants of, what's it say in your Bible? Jesus Christ to all the saints in what? Let me ask you a question. Why one is Jesus Christ and the other is Christ Jesus? Somebody said, that's just the way Paul wrote it. No. No, that's the way the Holy Spirit gave it. This is very important. Jesus is the name of his humanity and the name of his humility. Look carefully at your Bible. That connects us to the servanthood of the Lord Jesus. We are servants of Jesus Christ. Oh, I love this. We're in the same work with Jesus. We're in the yoke with Jesus. Uh, who is he? He's the great servant. And so Jesus reminds us of his perfect humanity. But when you come to saints, praise God, he is no longer now the lowly servant. Who is he? He is the ascended Lord. The gates of heaven swung open wide for him. He's seated at the right hand of the heavenly Father, making intercession for us. He opened all of the divine resources to us. So when we talk about saints, what's the first word? It's not Jesus, it's what? It's Christ Jesus. Because here, the emphasis is on his deity. Isn't the word of God amazing? This is the word of the living God to servants and to saints. Now, here's the list. You ready? We're going to walk through the opening four verses. The verses that we read together, and I want to show you a list of things, divine connections that God makes for servants and saints. Uh, because he puts things in pairs, uh, twins, if you will, things that are divinely uh, interwoven. Here's the first. Let's start right where God does. Philippians 1, 1, mark it please, Paul and Timotheus. Number one, would you write this down? The first thing he shows us is two servants. Two servants. Not one, but two. I'm thinking now the words of Solomon, two are better than one. And there's something about being a co-laborer. By the way, that's why I love the fact you're having this conference this week and you're bringing in gospel laborers, pastors and preachers and evangelists and Christian workers. And what are you trying to do? You're laboring with them. You're encouraging them. You're ministering to them. You're helping them. We're in this together. We're labors together with God. We're striving together for the faith of the gospel. And I love this. He puts these men together just as surely as he put Moses and Aaron together, just as surely as he put Elijah and Elisha together. He now has Paul and Timothy, Paul and Timotheus. Later in this meeting, uh, Monday or Tuesday, I'm going to show you how God put them together. It's really a fascinating story how the Lord led in all of that. But don't miss this. Paul needed Timothy and Timothy needed Paul. 
May I say to every mature saint in the room, and I don't know the people in this room, so I don't know who's been saved a long time, and age and stage are not the same either. So sometimes people are older, but they're still spiritual babies, you know. And sometimes people can be young, but be mature in the Lord. But I have no doubt there are mature believers in this room. Some have been saved a long time. I want to speak to you as the Pauls in the room for just a moment and tell you, you need a Timothy. I'm looking at these young people that are here, young couples and families that are here. I'm just telling you, the reason I'm here today is because early on there were some people that took an interest in my life and invested in me. Paul needs a Timothy. And watch this, Timothy needs a Paul. He needs the input. Uh, Paul needed someone to invest in, and Timothy needed someone to influence him. And this is just the Lord's way. Now, let's take a church vote. Pastor, can I take a church vote? It has nothing to do with money, all right? Let's take a church vote. How many of you would like, if Jesus tarries his coming, that 50 years from now, there would still be on this corner a strong gospel-preaching lighthouse and a place where your children and grandchildren are learning the Word of God? How many of you would vote for that? Would you raise your hand, please? All right, I'm going to tell you the only way that happens. The only way that happens is if one generation makes it their business to pass on to the next generation the truth that they have received. If the link in the chain ever gets broken, if one generation ever fails to pass on the truth to the next generation, look, this is a relay race. It's not enough to take the baton and carry the baton. Somebody's got to pass the baton to somebody running along behind them. So I'm asking you a personal question right now. You'll have to answer between you and God. Who are you giving it to? How many of you can think of a pastor, a teacher, a, a youth worker, an older Christian, a family member, a friend, somebody that gave you the gospel, helped you understand, maybe they got you your first Bible, brought you to church, started to teach you some of the basic elementary things? How many of you can think of anybody like that? Would you raise your hand? Okay, let me ask you a question. Would anybody think of you? Do you know the great danger? The great danger is we become Dead Sea Christians. You know the problem with the Dead Sea? Living things flowed into it for centuries. The problem was not that nothing living flowed into it. The problem was nothing living ever flowed out of it. And life becomes death when it's kept to itself. Would you like to know why there are so many miserable people around churches who've been in church their whole life? You know, Pastor, you all probably never have anybody leave this church. I'm sure nobody would ever leave a church like this. But down in West Virginia, we have people sometimes leave a church. And sometimes they say something real spiritual on their way out the back door. Sounds something like this. Well, we just weren't getting fed. You ever heard somebody say something like that? Sounds very spiritual. And sometimes in some places that may be true. But I've discovered that in many churches, the problem is not that people are not getting fed. It's that they never learn to feed anybody else. They actually sat in churches for decades and took it in and took it in and took it in and took it in, pardon me, and got more spiritually bloated and miserable all the time because they never learned the secret, the joy, the dynamic of taking what they've received and relaying it to someone else. Watch this, please. There must be not one. There must be two servants. There must be a Paul and there must be a Timothy and both of them must find their place and do their part. Second thing, look at verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. Write a second thing down. Not only are there two servants, did you notice there are two locations? Now, this is going to sound a little strange at first, 
But I want to say to you, if you're really a Christian at this moment, you're in two places at the same time. Somebody says it's impossible to be two places at the same time. Well, you actually are. Would you look carefully, please, at the verse? He says to them that geographically, circumstantially, they are at Philippi. Uh, today, in the providence of God, I am at uh, Brookings. Is that right? And, you know, when you travel as much as I do, I wake up in the morning and think, what state am I in today? It's terrible, you know. And later this week, I'll be in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> and next week, I'll be in Texas. And, you know, you wake up and you think, what town now? What state? Where, where am I at today? But watch this, please. The geography may change and the circumstances may change. But did you notice their spiritual location? This is beautiful. Would you mark it in verse number one? They are in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 says we are seated with him in heavenly places. How many of you ever been in a place in this world where you felt like you were in a little danger? Yeah, I have too. There have been some places not long ago. I was in a place and uh, I was walking from an airport to a hotel that I had to get to and, and uh, certain circumstance. And it was in the middle of the night and I just said to the Lord, now Lord, you're going to have to take care of me. And he did and I'm very grateful to God for that. But sometimes physically, geographically, circumstantially, we can be in a place of danger, a place of need, a place where we're struggling. But i got good news for you. If you are really a Christian, spiritually, you are so connected to Jesus Christ, nothing can ever touch the inner man because it is secure in Christ Jesus. <laughs> you know, I'm in a different hotel all the time and, you know, different places. And that, that can get old in a hurry. Somebody said, you must love travel. And I just laughed and said, you must not have done much of it because after a while it gets old and there's no place like home. Can I get a witness there? No, no bed like your own bed. It's wonderful. But here's what I've discovered. I've discovered I can be at home anywhere if I recognize that Christ is with me there and that wherever I am and whatever my situation may be today, I am safe in Christ Jesus. Two servants, two locations. Keep reading. There are two offices in the church in Philippi and in every New Testament church. It's the bishops and deacons. A bishop is another word for pastor. Pastor means shepherd. Bishop means overseer. It's, it's one of the terms that talks about the work God has assigned to the pastor. And let me just stop and say, you ought to thank God every day that the Lord has given you a faithful pastor in this church. Yesterday, yesterday, a church called me and said, do you know somebody you could recommend to us? We need a pastor. We need somebody to feed us the Bible. We need a shepherd. And my heart goes out to those people, and I, I meet them everywhere I go. People needing a pastor. Uh, and for the record, it takes something to go someplace and takes something else to stay. you got a shepherd that didn't just come here. He stuck around. How many of you are glad about that? Well, pray for the man. I grew up in a preacher's home. There's spiritual battles in that. That's not easy. And, uh, you know, sometimes people like the idea of oversight. Like, let me just tell you, being over things is not all it's cracked up to be. And you got to know God's given that to you to do. But you ought to praise the Lord for those who are giving oversight in the church. That's the bishop. And then you got the deacons. Who's, the word deacon means servant. You remember the first deacons in the book of Acts. The servants are not there to run things. They're there to serve the Lord and his church to help the pastor and help the people. And uh, you ought to pray for the deacons. I don't even know. Didn't you ask? Uh, about deacons in this church i'm sure you have deacons and uh, i don't know who they are but look the lord knows who they are you ought to pray for them you ought to pray for those who lead and pray for those who serve and if i might add a footnote to it 
you might not be a bishop and you might not be a deacon, but you can be a part of serving the Lord in the local New Testament church. So you ought to find your place and plug into it. So you got two servants, two locations, two offices, and then you got two great needs. Look at verse 2. What's the first word of verse 2, class? Grace. Would you circle that? Grace be unto you. And what? Peace. I do not know the needs in this room. If I did know them, I couldn't meet them. I'm not sufficient for that. Only the Lord is. But here's what I can say with authority today. I know everybody in this room needs these two things. You need grace and you need peace. Remember earlier we talked about the God of order? Let me ask you. Everybody stare at verse 2. Which comes first, grace or peace? <laughs> you know, we got, we got a world trying to find peace without grace. We got a whole world saying, we need peace. Somebody make peace. Somebody bring peace. You do understand there is no peace except the peace God gives. And God doesn't give peace first. God gives grace first. And when you experience His grace, I love this, peace comes with the grace. And notice, he's writing to believers. You may say, I'm already saved. Well, brother, you still need grace. I need more grace today than I've ever needed in my life. I need more of God's peace today to rule and keep my heart and mind than I've ever needed in my life. I'm praying this for this church this week. I'm praying grace and peace for this church, Lord. Why? Because it's the two things we all need. And then look again at verse 2. You have the two givers. If the two gifts are grace and peace, the two givers, watch this please, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the, the little secret is the two are actually one because Jesus said, I and my Father are one. So let me ask you a question. Why would he not just say from God? Wouldn't that be simple? Wouldn't that have saved ink? Grace and peace from God. But it doesn't. He says grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that? Watch this, please. Because the Father is the source, the sender, and Jesus is is the channel through which the gift is sent. James said that every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So if there's any grace in your life, any peace in your life, any good thing in your life, I'm going to tell you today, it all comes from God, every bit of it. Don't look to people for that. Don't look to me for that. Look to God for that. Please don't miss this. The great connector between the Father and the children is the beloved Son. Apart from Jesus, we would never know the grace of God. We would never have the peace of God. I just want to pause and say, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God our Father for Jesus. Because if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't understand any of this. What a wonderful Savior we have. Don't ever get over the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life on behalf of God our Father. And then you come to verse 3 and verse 4. There are two responsibilities. To this point, we've been talking about all the good things. But now, what's our response? In verse 3, he said, I thank God for you. I remember you, and I thank God for you. We're forgetful people, aren't we? I thank the Lord for you. This time of year, we start thinking, talking about what we're thankful for. That will be every day. As you think, you thank. As you remember, you, you give God glory, and you give Him praise. And then in verse 4, this is, this is beautiful. Again, order. In verse 3, you have praise. In verse 4, you have prayer. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. So the two responsibilities are praise and prayer. We must remember to give thanks, and we must remember to make requests. 
There's a lot of prayer nuggets in here. We pray always. Pray without ceasing. And we're to, to pray and not faint. It's one of the great admonitions of Scripture. Live in the spirit of prayer. I wonder, are you in the spirit of prayer this morning? Somebody said, well, we came to church to pray today. No, 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 no. You don't, you don't, you don't find prayer in here. You bring your prayer with you. People say, we've come to worship today. Corporate worship is just a bunch of people individually worshiping. You want to make sure we worship God today? Bring your worship with you when you come. So are you in a spirit of prayer at this moment? Are you walking with God? Are you, are you in the always? He said, I make request with joy. By the way, did you know this is the first mention? You might want to mark it in your Bible. It's the first mention of joy in the book on joy. It's found multiple times in the book, but the first mention of joy is connected to prayer. Isn't that fascinating? Do you know what God wants for every servant and every saint in this room? He wants you to be a joyful servant and a joyful saint. Traveling, dealing with people who are in the service industry, I try to be nice to people in the service industry. I'm talking about waiters and waitresses and, and the people working in hotels. And frankly, anybody just work a job right now, I'm grateful to God for. And uh, yet I've discovered something that when people serve, some of them serve gladly and some of them serve miserably. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You can have a servant that is just cheerful and glad and how can I help? And then you can have somebody that's just doing their duty, checking their boxes and taking their paycheck. You ever had one of those? And they're miserable, so guess what? They make you miserable. Please don't miss this. Do you know what God wants for all of his servants? He didn't just want you to be a servant. He wants you to serve the Lord with gladness, with joy. And then there's saints. I really hate to tell you this, but I meet a lot of miserable saints. And position, they belong to the Lord, but in disposition, they seem perfectly miserable. In their standing, they say, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. But in their spirit, something is wrong. Please don't miss this. God didn't just want you to be a saint and to go to heaven someday. He wants you to be a joyful saint and know his gladness in your heart today. And how does that happen? It happens when servants and saints do what God's given them to do. And what has God given us to do? Two things. Would you mark them? Thanks and prayer. I'm going to challenge you to do something this week. And we're going to study a lot more. That's just kind of a little jumping off place, place to get in the water. But I'm going to challenge you to do two things this week. Let this week and your life be filled with praise and prayer. Every day this week, before you get out of bed in the morning, stretch yourself out on your bed and imagine your bed is an altar and let your first thoughts be Godward and let your first words be to heaven and say to the Lord, thank you, dear God, for letting me live to see another day. Thank you for the breath in my body. Thank you for the health and measure of strength I have at this moment. Dear God, thank you. And then don't let it be self-centered praise. Do what Paul did. Thank God for others. He's thanking the Lord for all the other fellow servants and fellow saints. Thank God for others. Do you know what praise will do? It'll change your whole perspective on the whole world. Somebody said, two men behind prison bars, one looked at the mud, the other the stars. We got a whole lot of, lot of mud watchers right now. Everybody's talking about how bad it is. Have you noticed? And you watch the news and you get a belly full of it and you just, you know, it's a 24-7 cycle of negative news and all that kind of thing. I'm going to tell you what the world needs. It needs some good news Christians right now who have their eyes on the Lord and they're not just talking like everybody else about how bad it is. They're talking about how good their God is. It begins with giving thanks. And then every day, every day, spend time in prayer.
And don't let the prayer just be for you. Notice the context of the verse. He's praying for others. That's called intercessory prayer. Why don't you pray for your pastor by name every day? Why don't you pray for your deacons? Why don't you pray for this church family? Why don't you pray for the lost in your Philippi that need to be saved? Why don't you pray by name for some fellow preacher or gospel worker? One of these men that's going to come in here this week, somebody's going to be discouraged and having a hard time. God's going to let you meet him and shake their hand, and, and he's going to impress on your heart. Pray for that man. I was preaching in a place a few weeks ago at the end of the meeting. People coming by saying hello, and people were kind. A young man came by, and, and uh, he said a couple things, and then he said to me, he said, that, would it be all right if I prayed for you? And I said, sure. I thought he was just, you know, saying he was going to pray for me in the next few days. And he stopped right then and there, put his arm on my shoulder, bowed his head and prayed a brief prayer. I cannot tell you what that young man's prayer meant to me at that moment. It ministered to the minister. It put fresh courage in me. It reminded me, somebody's praying for me. And there is a God who hears and answers prayer. I'm telling you people, if we're going to have the joy in our service and the joy in our sainthood, we've got to get back to these things that the Lord connected. One of my favorite Bible teachers is with the Lord now. I never met him, but I read a lot of his books. There's a man named G. Campbell Morgan. You ever heard of Campbell Morgan? Campbell Morgan, great Bible student, great Bible teacher. Campbell Morgan called this Paul's singing letter. And, and he made this point that when the work in Philippi started in Acts chapter 16, everybody remember? He got thrown in jail. And at midnight, what did they do? Anybody remember in Philippi? They sang and God opened the jailhouse doors and opened the heart of the jailer. And man, it said a whole bunch of great things in motion his ministry started with a song this is about uh, 12 or 13 years after that now think about this 12 or 13 years later would you like to where paul is when he writes this you know you read philippians and it just seems so happy you think man he must be sitting on a beach somewhere just enjoying life no he was under house arrest in rome that's where he was he's still a prisoner imagine that and yet he's writing and there's a song there's joy in the midst of it all, I love this, from start to finish, the believers at Philippi, every time they heard from the Apostle Paul, it was a joyful word. Why? Because it was all about, not his circumstances, but about who God was and the fact he now belonged to him. I said to somebody recently, I've prayed that God will keep me from becoming a sour old man. I'd recommend that prayer to you too. My life first, Acts 20, 24, but none of these things move me, neither count of my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course, anybody know the next two words? With joy. I don't want to just finish on the right side, I'd like to finish on the bright side. Any of you with me on that? I don't want to grumble my way to the rapture and fuss my way to the judgment seat of Christ. I'd like to finish with the joy of being his servant and his saint. Father, I pray this week you'll open the word to us. I pray you'll open heaven to us. And I pray you'll open us to you. May you stir every servant and every saint. May some who do not know you come to know you. May many more be saved because of the work you do in the lives of your people and in this church. And would you set all of that in motion today. And we'll give you glory and praise for it. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said.